0: We're going to just worship God this morning and just talk about how much he loves us. And I'm ready for a good morning. Are you ready for a good morning? Yeah, let's do it then. live stream and on Facebook. We're glad you're here too. We're just going to keep worshiping together.
1: I encourage you to do that this morning. Give each other a smile. There's something distinctly unique about person-in-person relationships. So say hi. Give each other a smile this morning. Amen. Uh, It's wonderful to hear you guys lift up your voices in worship this morning. Uh, But as you know, there's lots of other ways that we can glorify our God. And uh, one of those is just being a good steward of the resources he's given us. So uh, this morning our time to do that would be through offering, um, as through our resources. So, you know, we bring that forth, we bring that forth this morning and God takes care of the rest and He does it in ways that we can't imagine. Um, and the mission uh, missionaries that we serve through the church and also this church itself. So there's three ways to give. You can see that on the screen and continue to worship with us this morning.
0: accept it for what it is. Father, I know that so many of us struggle with not feeling good enough, and so many of us struggle with perfectionism. And God, I pray that you would just, like, help us meet in the middle. God, knowing about your righteousness and your grace. God, that both are available to us. Continue to, to be with us, Father, as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Even have a seat. Um, we're getting ready to take communion student and I was just thinking about this last song and then the one we're going to sing together. Um, and I know for me, like a lot, I think a lot of people struggle with feeling good enough, but I think when you're raised in the church, a lot of times you're focused on perfection and like I, I tend towards that way anyway. Thanks, dad. Just kidding. He's great. But I, I think sometimes we talk so much about like when you don't feel good enough, but sometimes I think there's times that we feel too good. There's times that we feel self-righteous and it's not about God's righteousness anymore. It's about being right and doing the right thing and having the right answer. And so we're just gonna sing this next song and I just want you to, to let go of some of that if that's something that you struggle with and just know that God's grace is there for you. Because I think there's a lot of shame when you don't think you're doing it right. And there are, there are some rules. There's righteousness of God, but there's so much grace and love from him too. So we're going to sing this song. If you know it, it's really simple. So if you catch it, just sing along with us. If you want to stand, if you want to raise your hands, if you want to stay seated, we just want you to give this, have this opportunity to worship God and just put yourself out there with him so that he can connect with you. So sing this with us.
2: Ask you to just bow your heads, keep your heads bowed. I just want to pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your faithfulness, your kindness, your mercy. I thank you for Southwoods. I thank you for every person within the sound of my voice listening via live stream or Facebook. And Lord, our request is that by your Holy Spirit we would hear exactly what you want us to hear this morning as we're here together, whether we're in worship and prayer as we've been, or if now it's opportunity to look at Your Word. We just ask that You'd speak. And God, will give You credit for every good thing that happens, both what's said as well as how our lives change for the better because of Jesus' work in our lives. Would You meet us in this moment? We thank You for Jesus' sacrifice, which has paid the penalty for our sins if we've embraced Him. So we thank You for that. Meet us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Southwoods. Good morning. It's good to see you. I've missed you the last couple of weeks, and uh, it's been a long couple of weeks. But I, I want to begin by you know, just saying right off the bat, thank you to all of you who have been praying for my wife, Lori, praying for our family. Uh, Lori's dad, if you're unaware, has been battling numerous health issues since last fall. And unfortunately, this past week, he came home from the hospital on hospice care. And that's where Lori is right now, along with her sisters and her mom and so on. And uh, I just thank you for continuing to to pray for them. Uh, It's a blessing to all of us. But as you'd expect, with all that's... There's a lot more behind that, but in the interest of time, I'll just kind of keep going here a bit. But uh, as you'd expect, I've been thinking a lot about my father-in-law, you know, during this period of time in, in recent days. For those of you who've met Norman or who've known him over the years, you know that Norman's a good and godly man. I mean, he's just—he's uh, just an amazing person. He's quick-witted. He has a love for words, a love for people. He's never met a stranger. I, you know, we could, a few years ago we were on a vacation together. We were riding a, a train from Durango to Silverton, the narrow-gauge railroad. Some of you have been there before. Some of you maybe not. We're riding the train, and you know, you—you you pay money to ride the train. You're—you're kind of in your seat, and you're there to see scenery and. Norman's walking the train, and he's getting acquainted with people, and we're getting off the train. And, you know, people are calling him by name, glad to meet you. You know, there's just, he's just never met a stranger. Uh, Norman can see the silver lining in almost any dark cloud. Uh, he's just fun to be around. And um, here's a picture that Laura and I took of him on that particular trip. And... Um, He told us when we took this picture, I want a nonchalant photo. (laughs) To which, this is the headwaters of the Colorado River and Rocky Mountain National Park where we are. He said, I want a nonchalant photo, to which I said, I'm glad because all your other photos are so chalant. (laughs) And you know, I'm I'm typically not that quick-witted, but, but I kinda felt like the Holy Spirit gave it to me in that moment because we got the smile and Lori snapped the photo and uh, now it's being made into a big canvas that we're gonna have at at a memorial service one of these days. Um, But you know what not everything in Norman's life has been smiles. Not everything. Norman grew up the youngest of seven kids on a farm in South Dakota during the worst of the Great Depression. They didn't have much. Barely kept the farm through most of those years. You know, I've heard lots of stories about that. And all through that time, Norman never knew his father. His father died when Norman was two in a car accident, tragically. So as you can imagine, during the Great Depression, the absence of dad on a farm with a bunch of teenage boys and a couple of sisters really did not help their economic status. It was an act of God that they survived as they did. I could say more, but Norman has faced his share of challenges in life, including the current bout with cancer that he's been dealing with ever since last fall. Nevertheless, Norman has one of the best attitudes and outlooks on life of anybody I've ever known. How did that happen? How did he not end up in a protest group? How did he not, you know, like, end up complaining to Congress or the state legislature or some other place? How, how did he end up, you know, not just holed up somewhere in depression and sadness and woe is me? How did that happen? My response is old school, but true. And you and I and our culture, this generation, needs to hear this. From Norman's youngest years, he and his family were faithful members and attenders of the South Elrod Church of Christ. So, what it looks like today. The building is closed for services, but I can guarantee you the people who are part of that building are having services right now in the heavens. They're holding church. And Norman and a whole bunch of people in his generation sincerely embraced the teachings, lifestyle, and Savior that was revealed in this book to you and me and all who will open its pages. And that decision to embrace the Savior taught about in this book. His decision to embrace the teachings and lifestyle of this book helped Norman to avoid a ton of attitude traps that the scriptures tell us can defeat any of us in life. Attitude traps that every one of us face. But God tells us how to face them if we have the humility of spirit to listen and to be teachable and to think maybe I can learn from something that God has to say to me. So today what I want to do is I want to help all of us identify some of those traps so we can escape them, so we can learn to live with a little more positive outlook on life. And heaven knows we all know we need all the help being positive at the moment that we can be, right? So we're going to work our way through some of these. I'm going to talk this morning about five attitude traps. There are probably more, but these are five biggies that I want to bring to our attention this morning that we see in Scripture. The first is this. I hope you'll listen close. I hope you'll just do a little introspection. The first attitude trap that I want to highlight is this. It's the attitude trap of unrealistic expectations. None of us deal with that, right? None of us. The attitude trap of unrealistic expectations. The truth is all of us deal to some degree or another with unrealistic expectations in life. Maybe you expect... Let I me mean, just think about some of Maybe you expect that everyone is a good person and that they're going to treat you right. Maybe you expect that your life is always going to be easy and smooth and work your way. Guess what? Neither of those expectations is accurate. We can make a long list of other expectations like those that you and I sometimes. And our utopian mindset, we embrace, but the truth of the matter is quite contrary to that. Here's a realistic biblical expectation for life in a world with sin and Satan in it. Okay? Realistic expectation. Jesus says in John 16, 33, the latter part of the verse he says, Here on earth, you will have, what's it say? Many trials and sorrows. Doesn't even just say some trials and sorrows. He says many. He says many trials and sorrows. But take heart because I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. He's already foreshadowing in his language there. He doesn't say you can overcome the world, does he? What's he say? I have overcome the world. He's foreshadowing the fact that we need him in our lives. That's what he's doing right there. Subtle. Sometimes Jesus was subtle. Sometimes he was in your face. Reality is this. In life, each of us is going to encounter people and problems and pain that we're going to have to endure courageously, wisely, like Jesus did, like the saints of old have done. Unrealistic, utopian expectations are a trap. So don't be surprised that the evil one will continue to whisper them and make promises about how our world can be this fantastic, amazing, utopian place, and government can be that, and your job can be that, and your family can be that, and everything can be that. Can it be better? Sure. But here's the point. The point is, to the extent that you and I take the bait of utopian thinking, the trap has been set. Is one of these days when we realize it's not, your attitude will go in the toilet. So but the Bible's just realistic. It's not being pessimistic, it's not being negative, it's just telling you how it is that in our world you're gonna have trouble, sorrow. Which brings us to attitude trap number two. Which is this. It's making comparisons. You know, when you and I make comparisons, uh, it's an attitude trap that's guaranteed to set us up for personal discouragement, for relational difficulties, and far more. For example, let's say let's say that you're going to an interview going to interview for a new job. And so you drive into the parking lot of the company that you're going to interview at, and immediately as you show up in the parking lot, you start noticing the cars that are nicer than yours. And you notice all the current employees that are dressed better than you. And you notice that uh, the people who have advanced degrees, who are interacting with you, degrees that you don't have, and, and they look really smart and you just keep processing these things and if you begin to dwell on them, if you allow making mental comparisons like that to become your focus, what happens? What's it do to your attitude and the interview most likely? It can sabotage it. right? It can sink it. It's an example of what many would call comparing up. Comparing up. And when you're comparing up, here's the deal you look at everybody else and they're like up here and you're just little little you and you don't measure up and it's an attitude trap every one of us deals with it in some situations some occasions in a similar way comparing down is an attitude trap at the same job interview it can play out totally different. Let's say say that you drive into the parking lot and you immediately begin to notice as you're there, a lot of those cars are kind of older and more beat up than yours. And all the current employees, they're actually wearing clothes that aren't, you know, with it. And you start noticing You know, that they're a little less knowledgeable than you. They're a little less verbal than you. They didn't go to as prestigious a school as you did. And it just goes on and on. And, And if you allow those comparisons to influence your attitude, your thoughts, your behavior, guess what? Pride over confidence are likely to swell up within you. And it can sabotage an interview every bit as much as thinking less of yourself than you should can do. Comparing up, comparing down, our attitude traps. But here's a realistic biblical perspective of how to view ourselves and how to view others. Think of it this way. And some of us maybe need to write these verses down for our benefit. Because maybe you struggle with this. To the insecure among us, instead of comparing up, we need to embrace Philippians 4.13. Great passage which says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ, the one who's overcome the world. Remember what he said? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't have to think less of others in order to measure up. I just need Christ Jesus. I need the Holy Spirit within me strengthening me. And if I have them, I measure up not because I'm all that, but because he is. And he's at work within me. For those of us who have a tendency to compare down, maybe we're a little too self-assured. Maybe we're a little overconfident. Perhaps we need to embrace Philippians 2, verses 3 and following. Middle part of verse 3 says this, In humility, value others above yourselves. Notice what it says, above. If it's your Bible, underline the word above. Value others above yourselves more highly than yourselves not looking to your own interest but each of you to the interests of others which is to say it's not all about you it's not all about me it goes on in verse 5 and says in your relationships with one another have the same mindset have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Here's the point. Jesus didn't cling to his elevated status and from that place, that exalted place, compare himself to us. Think about it. That would have been the ultimate in comparing down. Jesus didn't take that approach. What did he do? He just focused on serving. Serving. He had an attitude of servanthood and humility towards the Father, towards people. And the passage is saying, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That's a realistic A biblical perspective of how to view ourselves and others. Let's avoid comparisons. They're a trap. And let's instead focus on servanthood, humility, just what needs to be done. How can I bless and value the life of somebody around me more highly than my own? It's a very foreign way of thinking for us naturally, but it's how Jesus related. And we're called to live the same way. It's the pathway to an attitude that's healthy, vibrant, alive, joy-filled. But to succeed at that, we've got to recognize and escape three more attitude traps that are incredibly present. They're just everywhere in our present culture. And all three of these attitude traps are being actively promoted as acceptable and justifiable by by today's media, by many groups in our culture today. And you and I need to recognize them for what they are. These are are not ways to live or think. These, These are traps. Attitude trap number three is an attitude of entitlement. Entitlement. Entitlement is when you or I begin to think, somebody owes me. That's entitlement. And usually entitlement leads to a fourth attitude trap, which is bitterness. And bitterness is just a sustained attitude of unforgiveness towards someone who we think owes us something. Now the truth is they may or may not owe us something, but the, the operative part of this is, I think they do, And so I live as though they do. And because I'm entitled to this and they're not giving it to me, I'm justified in being angry at them. This is bitterness. Bitterness. Attitude trap number four of bitterness. If you give in to that for very long, attitude trap number five is just waiting for you. It's just... Just waiting. Attitude trap number five is self-pity. Because let me just tell you, you and I aren't going to get everything we think we deserve in a world where sin is everywhere and Satan is seeking whom he may devour, as Scripture teaches. Self pity begins to think of oneself as a victim. Woe is me. My horrible existence. And there are attitude traps that follow that, but typically beyond that point, it ceases to be attitude and it starts being action traps. And since things that we start doing that lead to further entrapment and the spread of sin and hatred and all kinds of things. You know, in a corrupt world, it's easy to get stuck in one or more of these attitude traps. But here's a realistic biblical perspective. This is how God views all of this. And I hope that you'll hear it again. It's old school, but it's true. Listen to this. Romans 3.23 tells us this. This is God's summary of it all. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. That's what that passage says. And here's the implication of that verse. Here's why I bring it up. This verse is saying that there's one person, one being in the entire universe who everybody owes, okay? One person, everybody owes because we've all messed up. And he doesn't owe us a thing. and of course I'm talking about God And what do we owe God Romans 6 23 explains that real clearly when it just says the wages of sin this is what we we've all fallen short we've all sinned the wages of sin is death we all owe God our lives every one of us but hear this the free gift of God The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He doesn't respond to us with entitlement or bitterness. He doesn't wallow in self-pity. He doesn't go off on a judgment rage like we sometimes accuse him of. If he were to judge us, you'd know, you'd know. What we find in scripture, here's the picture, the one person in the entire universe who everybody owes doesn't harbor bitterness or unforgiveness towards us. Instead, through Jesus Christ's death on the cross, he freely offers us eternal life and forgiveness, which we do not deserve. We're not entitled to that. And all we have to do is accept what He's freely given us by embracing Jesus as our Savior and Lord and by forgiving others as He's promised to forgive us. Did you hear the second part of what I said? Embrace Jesus as Scripture teaches. Forgive others as He's forgiven us. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our debts, our trespasses, our sins. Pick your word. As we what? Forgive others. Jesus goes on and says, If you don't forgive others, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. Matthew 6. We've got to accept Christ. And we've got to give up our entitlement and bitterness and unforgiveness and our self-pity. It's not optional, it's essential. It's essential. It is God's prescribed worldview for you and me who decide that we want Him to be king of our lives and we want to be His subjects. And friends, let me just tell you, if you will choose to live that way, freedom now and the eternal life that's promised in your future are worth it they're worth it when you're laying in norman's place and every one of us will you'll see that it's worth it it's worth it let me give you kind of a goofy Visual illustration of all of our situation. It's just goofy, but roll with it. Thankfully, this has never happened. Every time I've got animals in my backyard and weird things happen and, and, and I know I've got some kind of animal, I, I have a trap similar to that and I kind of do it and then I drive them way out south and let them go. Thankfully, I've never walked out and seen this scene right here. But this, in many respects, is our situation because every one of us is trapped just like that skunk. Every one of us needs someone to set us free of our sin and our sometimes stinky attitudes. And hear this, you will never get free on your own. You need somebody else who's outside of the trap To set you free. Jesus is the only one who's escaped the trap. He's the only one. And friends, he came to set you free. He came to transform you. And have you thanked him for that? Have you invited him to be your savior, your Lord, the king of your life? And if any of the attitude traps that we've spoken of today have been keeping you from enjoying the freedom that Jesus came to give you, will you decide today that you'll change, that you'll, you'll choose a different course in life with His help? Every one of us can do that. Every one of us. But we've got to lean into Him for that to be accomplished. I want to close by sharing with you a little poem that was written several years ago by a pastor and author, uh, Charles Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll. And we made it into a little bookmark uh, that we want to share with you. We're just going to have it available on the offering communion tables as you head out. Just a little, little stand there. You can grab one and take it with you if you'd like to. But um, here's what it says. Maybe you need to take this and just kind of reflect on it with some regularity here in the week ahead. He writes this, The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude, to me, is more important than facts. It's more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. And then he says this, and this is worth the day for you. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge. We are in charge of our attitudes. Grab one of these as you head out today. I'm going to invite you, if you would, stand with me. We're going to close in prayer. If you're at home, just join us in prayer, if you would. If you'd like one of these, let us know, and we can email one to you, email a a copy of it as well. So uh, let's bow our heads and pray, and then we'll be uh, dismissed. And if God's tugging at your heart in some way and you want to make a decision for Christ, in some way, maybe you, need to, you just need to drive a stake in the ground and say, I'm going to change this attitude or that attitude. You can email us if you're live streaming. You can email us at pastors at southwoods.org uh, or you can uh, you know, let one of us know. But uh, let's bow our heads and pray that we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you that when we deserved condemnation and judgment, you did not respond with entitlement, bitterness, rage, revenge any of the things that you could have done what you did instead was that you humbled yourself you stepped off of the throne of the heavens you took upon yourself flesh and you you died because the consequences for our sin was death required death because you endured that as both God and the one who paid the penalty for our sins, you could decree freedom and life and forgiveness and a future for every one of us who would turn to you in faith and follow in your footsteps. Lord, help us to do that. This morning we just look heavenward and we say, fill us, cleanse us, make us yours. In this day where so many of us are affected by fear and all this stuff, God, help us to obey your word and be baptized as Scripture teaches. Help us, to, help us to summon some courage from within that understand that there are things in life more important than just fear and the flesh. Help us to choose to obey you. And Father, would you help us to forgive like you have forgiven Because, Lord, that's so key to laying the burdens down that so many of us carry. But the freedom and the joy-filled attitude that will result when we just lay those burdens down and leave them in your hands to take care of uh, just leads to life. So God, would you go with us as we leave this place, help us to take the next steps that we need to take in order to honor you with our lives. And We're just so grateful that you care about us far more than we give you credit for often. Thank you, thank you. Leave with us now. May we leave empowered by your Holy Spirit to do good things, the good works that you've created us in advance to do. We'll rejoice to be your children. This is our prayer, and we lift it together in the name of Jesus, and everybody agreed with me and said, amen, amen. Bless you all. Have a great day.